0: It's uh, it's a lot easier during the week until I come up here and stand behind the pulpit and I feel all these emotions. But uh, I'm thankful to uh, have this opportunity to preach God's Word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah 65 and 66. A few verses from each one. And then we're going to do a kind of a brief reading since we're doing a uh, review of the whole book of Revelation. I'm not going to read the whole book. We're just going to take uh, the seven blessings of Revelation and and read those for our scripture reading. So let's uh, hear the word of God. I begin with Isaiah 65 verses 17 through 19 where the Lord says, Behold, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And then from chapter 66, verses 22-24. through For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants in your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And now from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1-3. through 3, The first blessing, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show His servants things which must shortly take place. And He sent and signified it by His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that He saw. Blessed is He who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near." And then chapter 14, verses 12-13, to and then verse 15 from chapter 16. Here is the patience of the saint. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. And then the next blessing. Chapter 16, verse 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. From chapter 19. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. As the sound of many waters and the sound of a mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory. For the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And it to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write. Blessed are those who are called to the married supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Chapter 20, verses 4-6 through And I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads, or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years." And now from chapter 22, two sections, one in verses 6 through 7. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And now from chapter 22, verses 12 through 14. Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. May God add His blessing to His Word as we consider uh, these blessings that are given to us in the book of Revelation. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the blessing it is to hear Your Word, to hear those truths, those promises that You've given to us, those blessings that are ours in Christ. Bless them to our hearts this day. Make them a reality to us, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved people of God, I I started this series on the book of Revelation uh, on the first Sunday in uh, 2020, January 5th. Little at that time did we know what was ahead of us for the rest of the year and for part of this year as well. Uh, I finished this series last Sunday. Uh, but at the urging of the session, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to give a, a review of the whole series in just one sermon. And uh, some might think, why didn't you do that to begin with, right? But uh, no, but I hope and I pray that this will be helpful for you. And since we're going to cover a lot of ground here, we're going to jump right into it. My, simp- my theme here is very simply the lamb wins. That's, that's the theme of the book. Uh, it 's actually my forty eighth sermon on, on the book of Revelation. I took thirteen sermons just to cover the first vision, chapters one through three, where we had the seven churches. but that, that really kind of set the foundation for the rest of the book. And, and though you may remember that the apocalypse we 've said this over and over it 's made up of seven visions, it also can be divided into two major divisions. Chapter one through eleven make the first division made up of three visions. And that kind of gives us more of a perspective from earth, looking at what God is doing. And the key verse is probably chapter 11, verse 15, where it says, The kingdoms of men have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Chapters 12 through 22 make up the second division, and it's made up of four visions. That's what's left, but, you know, three and four make seven. Uh, And that's a number of completion. And that kind of gives us a a perspective from heaven. Uh, As each of the enemies of Christ, each of the enemies of His people are introduced to us, and then they are dealt with, if you remember, like in reverse order. The key verse, at least the one i picked as the key verse, is probably uh, chapter 22, verse 12 that I read just a few minutes ago. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. And so the point here, just as it is in John's Gospel, is that the apparent defeat, the the apparent death of Christ, are in fact His victory over Satan, over the dragon. And so what appears to be a victory for the dragon actually turns out to be the victory of Christ over sin and death and hell. And you and I are called by Christ Himself, we're called by the Apostle in His writings, we are called by those who have gone before us to live out that very same model in this life. You and I need to understand that suffering precedes victory. That tribulation precedes glory. Our victory over our enemies is going to be just as ironic, it's going to be just as surprising as that of Christ. But by persevering through tribulation, we reign now, right now, with Christ. And we have His promise that we will reign with Him forever and ever when that consummation comes. And conversely, on on the other side of this, when the church's enemies persecute God's people, what they're really doing, even as they wage war against the church, what they're really doing is defeating themselves in the same manner and in the same way that the devil himself was defeated at the cross. Even though it appears that he had the victory over Christ. So every act of oppression, every act of violence, every act of persecution against the saints of God, it actually lays the foundation for the judgment of God upon the wicked if they don't repent. In fact, there's often a hardening in the wicked, even as God brings His judgment upon them. We've seen that over and over in the book of Revelation. So, beloved, the main goal in this book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is to exhort us, to to encourage us, to spur us on so that we might remain faithful to that call to follow the Lamb in His rather ironic and somewhat surprising example. That suffering leads to glory. And that example is given to us so that you and I do not compromise with this world. But rather that we may persevere to the end. To be with our Savior on that great day. Now in the first vision. Chapters 1-3. The Apostle John meets the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ in all of His glory. He he falls down before Him as though He is dead. Christ strengthens him to receive this revelation. And that revelation begins with a message that goes to the seven churches. These churches are not a chronological outline of the church age. But rather they are types of the churches in the church age. Some are good. Some are not so good. And some are just plain bad. But Christ walks in the midst of the candlesticks, in the midst of His churches, because He loves His churches. And He wants what's best for His church. And so He commends the church for what she's doing when she's doing what she's supposed to do. He, He corrects the church when she's lacking in her devotion to Him. And she makes the church many great and precious promises throughout all of those letters to the churches. Now, as I, as I reviewed the churches, uh, the thing that really struck out to me was that Jesus spoke of the works of each of the churches. The word works comes up in every single letter. Listen to what He says to five of them. To Ephesus, Revelation 2.2, 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. To Smyrna, in Revelation chapter two, verse nine, I know your works, tribulations, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. To Pergamos, Revelation two, verse thirteen, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you behold, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antip- Antipas. Uh, was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. The Thyatira, Revelation 2.19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. And to Philadelphia, Revelation 3.8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Christ knows what His church does. But, but listen to what He says to the other two churches. There are seven churches. But to the other two, to first to Sardis, in Revelation 3, verses 1-3, through 3, He says this, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. And then Christ goes on in the next verse to say, remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And then to the church in Laodicea, Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And, and what does Christ say to them? Verse, verse twenty: Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. This is not a verse of evangelism. This is a verse that is addressed to the church. And so it's obvious here that Christ is not pleased with two churches, just just these two churches, because. They have the name of church. The works that they do or the works that they don't do are important. They're vitally important. And, and the lack of work for Christ is actually a sign of apostasy. And Christ promised them judgment if they don't repent. Now, beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, He loves His church. And He's building His church. But you see, it has to be built by Him, not by men. It has to be built in obedience to Him. We, we can't build on anything else than Christ as our foundation. And we have to live in obedience to Him as we do. Have, have we left our first love? Have we become lukewarm? If so, then Christ promises He will come and remove our lampstand from its place unless we repent. He will vomit us out of His mouth unless we open the door so that He may come in and dine with us and and we with Him. The first vision of the church is here. It calls us to examine ourselves before the living Word. To examine ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. To make sure that our hearts are right with Him. Do we long to commune with Him daily? Because you see, Christ makes many great and precious promises if we do. That we will eat of the tree of life. Which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That we shall not be hurt by the second death. That he will give us a white stone and a new name. That he will give us the morning star. That he will clothe us with white garments and not blot out our name, but confess our name before the Father. That He will give us He will excuse me, He will make us a pillar in the temple of God. And that He will grant that we may sit with Him on His throne. But you see, all of these promises are to those who overcome, to those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have ears to hear? And are you listening to what Christ says to you? In chapters four through seven, we come to the second vision of the apocalypse of our Lord. And once more, we're brought back to the beginning of the church age. In chapter 4, we have this setting in heaven where John sees the 24 elders who represent the church of all ages, Old and New Testament saints, all the church of our Lord Jesus Christ and her perfection and glory in heaven, giving glory and honor to Him who sits on the throne. And these 24 elders are joined by the four living creatures and they represent the glorified creation and all of its perfection. And what do the 24 elders and the four living creatures do? They, they they worship the great God of heaven and earth who rules over all. They cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. They give worship to God. But there's a problem. There's a problem in heaven. There is this sealed scroll in the hand of Him who sits on the throne and no one is able to open or even look at the scroll. Remember, John weeps at this news. But there's good news. You see, Christianity is always about good news. The good news of our Lord Jesus Christ who who comes forth as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, who has prevailed... To open and loose the scroll and to loose its seals. And in response to this presentation of our Lord coming forth, the four living creatures and the 24 elders again respond with praise and they tell us how the Lamb has done this. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. This is the song of salvation, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. And to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. And so the Lamb comes forth. He opens the first four seals, releasing the four horsemen of the apocalypse who who bring great devastation on the earth. In the fifth seal, we see the souls of those under the altar who cry out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until You judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And they are comforted and consoled with white robes and told to wait just a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren are complete. The sixth seal brings this great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood and the stars fell from the sky. Because great is God's judgment on the wicked. But they still do not repent. Instead, they cry for the mountains to fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath has come and who is able to stand? The first vision ended with... uh, at the end of the age. And it's really kind of announcing the coming of Christ. Christ doesn't really come at that, but you can see that it's implied and it's announced. But this second vision ends with the final judgment. And the first picture of the glories of that which is to come. And so in chapter 7, we have two pictures of the church triumphant. The church in glory. The first is represented, pictured in the 144,000. These are the sealed servants of God. But they're not special ones. They represent all the people of God who are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the second picture is the one that follows that is this great multitude which no one can number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what follows here is really kind of an explanation of what it's going to be like in glory for those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, verses 15-17 through Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lamb wins. The Lamb wins. Beloved, in in this second vision, we, we see that our only hope, the only hope that you and I have is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That those who reject Him will fall under the wrath of God. But those who receive Him, those who put their faith in Him, those who love Him and obey Him, there is going to be a heaven that's beyond anything that you and I can imagine. And, and the point is to show us that we will be with the Lord, the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. And what's awaiting us there in glory is far, far greater than anything that we might go through in this life. No matter what we may go through, what is coming will make it all worthwhile. The Apostle Paul, who knew what it was to suffer for the sake of Christ, he put it very well in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. They're not even comparable. And you'll notice it's not just this glory that's going to be Revealed to us, it's that glory that's going to be revealed in us. It is beyond our imagination to even comprehend. The third vision begins in chapter 8, concludes in chapter 11, of course, and that's the end of the first division of the book of the Apocalypse. And in this vision, we come to the seven trumpets, which show us again the judgment of God. And they show us that that judgment is going to increase in intensity at the end of the age as it comes closer and closer. Chapter 8 actually begins with the seventh seal uh, being open and there's this silence in heaven for half an hour. And that brings an end to the seven seals. But what that does, because it's kind of connected here, it shows us that the seven seals and the seven trumpets that are following here are really closely related to one another. As I've said before, these visions show us things that have already happened, that continue to happen and will happen until the end comes. Uh, the fourth seal brought about a, a, a pale horse and horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by beasts of the earth. That, that's previously, in the previous vision, the fourth seal. But now here in the third vision, the stakes rise much higher with these trumpets. Uh, They rise as a third of the vegetation is burned up. A third of the sea is turned to blood. A third of the rivers and springs are poisoned. A third of the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. And it's just the beginning. The last three trumpets are introduced with a warning of woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The fifth trumpet sounds and demonic scorpions are released upon the earth who who bring such torment that people want to die. And we're told death will flee from them. The sixth trumpet sounds and a vast army like a plague is released on the earth to kill a third of mankind. And what happens? What happens in response to all of these judgments? Does mankind repent? No. Revelation 9, verses 20-21, through 21, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. No repentance. In chapter 10, John, we're told, eats this little book. and It's sweet in his mouth, but it becomes bitter in his stomach. The Gospel message must be preached in this age of the church that you and I are now in. And it is sweet to those who have ears to hear. It is sweet to all who hear the voice of Christ and follow Him. But you see, the Gospel also brings suffering. bitter suffering for those who preach its message, for those who accept its message. Because not everyone wants to hear the Gospel. To some it's an aroma of life. To some it's an aroma of death. And when the Gospel goes forth, it will produce one or the other. And so when we come to chapter 11, we see these two witnesses who who represent the visible church in this world as she proclaims the Gospel in all of its fullness, as she proclaims the Word of God. Just as maybe as an aside here, maybe you saw that Facebook post uh, that was quoting Steve Lawson that said, There are only two kinds of preachers in this world those who preach the Bible and those who should resign. And so the mission of the church is to preach the gospel to every creature. That's what Jesus said. And as the church does so, she will suffer. So much so that we see in chapter 11 there, as we come to the end, she will appear to be dead. And the world will rejoice. But their celebration is premature. The church may seem to be dead. And as a public institution in this world, it may look that way. But it will not be so. The church will continue. And Christ will come. And He will rescue His people. And when the seventh trumpet sounds, it's over. And we hear that great announcement The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And all of God's people will rejoice on that great and terrible day of the Lord. Beloved, beloved, there is coming a day when there will be no more delay. When the end will come in all of its glory and power. And that's our hope. That's what you and I are looking forward to. And and if the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, if that does not excite you, if that doesn't thrill you, if that doesn't delight you, then your heart, my heart, it means that we're tied too much to this world. Because you see, this is not our home. This is not our inheritance. Our hearts... Meaning our our minds, our wills, our inmost being, all that we are, our hearts, need to be set on what God has promised us in Christ. And especially on that which is to come. And it's coming, my friends. It's coming and nothing in all the world, no power in all of God's creation can stop what God is going to bring to pass for His people, for those who overcome, for those who are in Christ. For you as His beloved. No power can stop that. Chapter 12 begins the fourth vision of the apocalypse. It's also the beginning of the second division of the book of Revelation. And here we see things, maybe we would say, from a more heavenly perspective. We see what's going on in heaven, and we're introduced to the enemies of Christ, the enemies of his people. And we meet the dragon who represents the devil. The beast of the sea who represents anti-Christian persecution of the governments of this world. We meet the the false prophet who represents anti-Christian religion and philosophy in this world. And we also meet the harlot, Babylon, who represents anti-Christian seductions that this world brings forward. And last of all, we meet those who have the mark of the beast, who represent the seed of the serpent. Those who refuse to follow Christ but who do follow the dragon in his rebellion against the Lamb. And you'll notice here when you come to chapter 12 how the vision goes again back to the first coming of Christ. Because the dragon is there, remember, trying to devour the Christ child who is born to this gloriously described woman there in chapter 12. And yet heaven intervenes. The Christ child is brought up to heaven. The dragon is enraged against the woman and he goes off to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who are the offspring of this woman? Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. In chapter 13, the beast and the false prophet are described for us in all their wickedness and how they deceive the world in following the beast to their own destruction. Which comes at the end of chapter 14. But you see, chapter 14, while it ends with that picture of their destruction, it begins with this picture of what glory is going to be like for the church triumphant. And again, they are represented by 144,000. A number made up of 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. The, The 12 tribes and the 12 apostles and this indefinite number. They sing a new song. The song of salvation. And listen to this. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Excuse me. And then this picture of heaven is in all of its real glory here is, is followed by the final judgment, which pictures the wrath to come, from which the church is exempt because of her Savior. Christ thrusts in the sickle and the earth is reaped, we're told. And once again we see that the end comes suddenly. As, as the great wine press of God's wrath overflows on the wicked of this world, those who worship the beast in his image and those who receive his mark. Beloved, the wicked of this world, they have a mark. But you know, see, this mark is not a tattoo, it's, it's not a computer chip. It, it, it's represented in the vision that we see here as a mark on their forehead, which speaks of their mindset, it, it speaks of what they think. It's also as a mark on their right hand, their actions, what they do. Those who follow the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet have been doing so, continue to do so, and they will do so until the end. They will follow them. That's their mark. It's their way of life. It's how they think. It's how they live. But you see, the people of God also have a mark. The Lord puts His seal upon His people. And if we have been truly converted, then it will show itself in our lives. We we will think differently than the world around us. We will live, we will act differently than the world around us. And you see, and if we're not really doing that, then we're only fooling ourselves. If one day we are going to follow the Lamb wherever He goes in heaven, we will begin by doing so today. Following the Lamb. Chapters 15 and 16 give us the fifth vision of the apocalypse. This is the shortest of the visions. And yet it shows us more about how the wrath of God, the judgment of God upon this world, is going to intensify even more than what we've seen previous to this. Because here come the seven bowls of God's wrath. The opening words make this clear that it's another vision and it tells us what it really emphasizes here. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Now these bowls. These plagues are similar to the plagues that God brought upon Egypt when He brought His people out of the house of bondage. They're also similar to the previous plagues that we've seen as well. But once again, we see once more that the intensity increases as the wrath of God and the judgment of God grows greater and greater. Why? Because mankind refuses to repent. In fact, there's a couple times there. It says, they blaspheme God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent and give Him glory. They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. And then the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, they gather the wicked to do the battle of that great day of God Almighty to the place called Armageddon and Christ returns. And they are destroyed by the brightness of His coming. So, beloved, let's learn from this fifth vision that the punishment that is coming upon this world, it is both just and righteous. And let us also learn that this world is going to fall apart. That everything that this world trusts in will ultimately fail. That our God will bring it all to nothing. And of that you can be sure. It is a terrible thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The day of judgment, the day of justice is coming, and it is coming in great power and glory. It will be a, a day of suffering like nothing the world has ever known. Because it's the great and terrible day of the Lord. But you see, for those who are in Christ, for those who persevere to the end, for those who seek the Lord and the salvation that is theirs in Christ, that day of trouble will be a day of rejoicing. It is as the psalmist says in Psalm 54, verse 4 Behold, the Lord is my helper. The Lord's not going to help the wicked of the world, but He always helps the meek in heart, the poor in spirit. He always helps those whom the world considers to be nothing more than the offscouring of all things. And so know this, beloved You are precious. In his sight, you are his jewels, and he promises one day to come for you. Chapter 17 through 19, make up the sixth vision of the apocalypse. And here, here we see the downfall and the final judgment of the harlot, Babylon, the beast and the false prophet. The harlot seduces the world with her immorality. She tries to seduce the church. The church perseveres in the face of these trials, and so the harlot we're told, is what? She is drunk with the blood of the saints. But the harlot will not prevail against Christ. And that's actually made up at the very beginning of this vision in beginning of chapter 17. The beast and the harlot and the kings of this world will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and those who are with him are called, chosen and faithful. Christ defeats all of his enemies. All of His enemies, all of our enemies, as well as keeps us in our hour of trial. We persevere because the Lord makes us to persevere by His sovereign will. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and all whom the Father has chosen, all whom the Christ has died for, all whom the Spirit has applied the work of Christ, they will all persevere to the very end. But you see, it's not just then that we're worried about. We must follow the Lamb now. In fact, in chapter 18, we hear His voice say, Come out of her, My people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. And as chapter 18 continues, we see the destruction and the fall of the harlot Babylon. But in chapter 19, what do we get? We get another picture of the saints in glory, rejoicing in the salvation of our God. So you see the severe judgment, and then you see the, the magnificence of glory. And they are crying out, Alleluia! Which means, praise the Lord. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And we see His reigning and victory in the last part there of chapter 19 as the Word of God, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes forth and He casts the beast and the false prophet alive into hell and He slays the rest of the wicked by the sword that proceeds from His mouth. And His total victory over all. So beloved, once again, we see this victory of our Lord Jesus Christ who comes in great power and glory to destroy all who oppose Him. Again, the Lamb wins. That's the theme. And because of His victory, the saints of God, the church of all ages, all who believe and trust in Christ, you and me, we get to enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will be glad. And we will rejoice. And we will give Him glory. And this will truly be a blessing beyond anything that we can imagine, right? Maybe you have not read the book of Revelation as much as you should have. Maybe you've kind of avoided it. But you see, there's a blessing promised to those who do. And, And you need to avail yourself of that blessing by reading of the victory of Christ over all of His and our enemies. You need to read about the glory that you are going to share in when that day finally comes. Take up and read. Tola lege. That's the way to comfort yourself in the day of trial and affliction by taking to heart all that God has promised you in Christ. That this is all yours. We finished the seventh vision last Sunday. All the enemies of God All the enemies of his people have been dealt with except for one. And that dragon will not escape the wrath of God. And you might remember here, even though we see the wrath of God coming upon these different enemies in the different chapters, the point is this doesn't happen at different times. It all comes at the end of the age. And each vision really kind of has a different emphasis. And here in the last vision, the the emphasis begins with the judgment of the dragon. But it ends with the glory that follows. The dragon is is bound in chapter 20. And that's what Christ did at His first coming. The strong man has been bound and Christ is now plundering His kingdom. That's what He came to do. And when Jesus says that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, He means that Satan cannot keep Him out. That He will march right into the devil's kingdom and He will plunder it of all those whom He has chosen and the devil cannot stop Him. Satan has been bound for this age. Doesn't mean that he's helpless. Doesn't mean he can't do anything at all. But it does mean his dominion has been taken away. He can no longer deceive the nations, at least not for now. So, Christ, what does he do? As the one who's been given all authority in heaven and earth, he sends his disciples into the world to proclaim the glorious gospel of salvation. That's what Jesus said at his ascension in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And when the church age is over, When the Gospel has gone forth, the dragon will be released for a little while. We're told he will deceive the nations once again. The world may be bad now, but we haven't seen anything yet. Not like it's going to be in that short time at the end. But then he is judged. And he is cast into the lake of fire with the false prophet and the beast. And then we have this picture in the last two chapters. It gives us the glimpse of heaven once again like nothing we have seen before. Nothing compares to these two chapters. And there are three things here that I want to leave with you from these two chapters. The first thing is that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. He, see, he says that in, in many places in the Word of God. But He says it three times here in the the last chapter of the Bible. And so you know it's not only important, but you know you can count upon it that He's coming again. Second, all the enemies of Christ, all the enemies of God's people, and sin itself will be dealt with fully and finally at the end. Someone has said that there's not one square inch of the universe where Christ does not exercise dominion and authority. He says, this is mine. I own it all. And all will bow and all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what's coming. And then third and last, the glory that shall follow for all those who are in Christ, for all those who love our Lord Jesus, for all those who worship and serve and obey the Lamb. What's coming is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond anything that you and I can imagine. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And you remember Christ said, He promised that He was going away to do that very thing, to prepare a place for you. And beloved, here in these last two chapters you have a tiny glimpse in this very last vision of what the Savior is preparing for you. And it's coming. And it is far greater and better than anything you can imagine. That is His promise to you. He is coming quickly. And all God's people said, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray.